What was the line in the song? The one who reigns forever is what? He's a friend of mine. You, you should never forget this. Ever. Ever. Whenever you're attacked by fear or anxiety or whatever the problem is, the one who reigns forever is a friend of mine. You, you, you just simply can't forget this. If you're going to be a real Christian, you always have to remember this. It's one reason I'm preaching Psalm 103. Verse 19. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. Every minute detail of your life, God is reigning in it. We've been talking a lot about this. You know, I think it was Psalm 97 about four weeks ago that got me off on this train of thought. We've been looking at God's sovereignty in the life of, of true believers and we've talked about two things, uh, at least there are many things, but we've talked about two things that, that we can be glad about because He's sovereign, Psalm 97. Let the nations be glad. Let the many islands be glad. Because our God reigns. So, what are the, anybody remember one or more of the, the things that we were talking about, the, at least the two reasons that we can be glad? Now, obviously, there are, there, there are myriad reasons. One is our salvation is secure. He reigns. He saves. Jesus says, I'll never lose one of my people ever. Ever. If you're His, you're His forever. It can't change. It won't change. He's an omnipotent reigning God. That's an amazing thing. The second thing is, oh, you can actually lift your Christianity huge. Why? Because He's in charge. He's in charge out there. The world's not in charge. Satan's not in charge. The culture's not in charge. The media's not in charge. Your God's in charge. So you can go out there and you can be a real Christian because He reigns. Some of you are afraid to be a real Christian. Maybe some of you are still in the closet, you know, at your work or in the university. <laughs> You're denying what He says about Himself. He reigns. The one who reigns forever. He's my friend. The God of what? Angel. Armies. I've always loved that. I think it comes out of the Message Bible. I've always loved that. So we looked at Esther. We've looked at Shadrach and the boys. We've looked at Joseph. We've been in awe of, um, yeah, the reigning sovereignty of God. But Psalm 103, I think it, I was drawn to it for that reason, but also it's my birthday. So I get to preach whatever I want, right? Uh, and we're about to end the, the year and... So we're not really in a series, and I'm going to probably do a couple of random sermons the next couple of weeks, but Psalm 103, yeah, I preached it about three or four years ago, but, but I love this psalm. There's so much power and encouragement in this psalm. So who knows what an oxymoron is? You guys all know what this is. I know it's a very strange English word. It may not translate for everybody, but an oxymoron is a set of contradictory uh, propositions. Um, such as, jumbo shrimp might be one. The living dead, the same difference, deafening silence. These things are contradictory in and of themselves. They're used to express a thought, but they're contradictory in and of themselves. Oxymoron is the word. So, the ultimate oxymoron on the planet would be... What? I'm going to tell you. So you'll never forget this. You'll always know this from now on. You get so much free stuff here. I give you guys so much free stuff. It's not in the Bible. I just give it to you. It's just free stuff. 
don't charge you for it. It's just free. The ultimate oxymoron, a lukewarm Christian. The ultimate oxymoron. Because if you're lukewarm, you're not a Christian. We know what Jesus says in Revelation 3.16, right? I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Everybody who's in the professed church who is lukewarm about Jesus, they're out. He says, I gag on the prospect that you could be lukewarm toward me, the Creator. The Creator God. The Redeemer God. You can't be lukewarm toward me. You can't be. You can't know me and be lukewarm toward me. The ultimate oxymoron. Lukewarm Christian. There's no such thing. I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying we don't have difficult seasons. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we're so in love with Christ that we work through the hard stuff, right? We work through the hard stuff in faith, in obedience. Last year, um, we went through the book Crazy Love. If you've never read Crazy Love by American pastor and author Francis Chan, I highly recommend it to you. Uh, It will challenge you. There's a chapter, I think it's chapter 4, called The Profiles of the Lukewarm. And Francis Chan says... um, Listen to this. I'm going to ask you this. This is to you. Has your relationship with Jesus Christ actually changed the way you live? (laughs) Big question. Because if it hasn't, it's not real. You can't enter into a relationship with the living God and things not radically change. They will change. They will radically change. Now I want to give you just a couple of points. Those of you who were in that study, you'll remember. A couple of points that Chan brought up in his book. This is a profile of the lukewarm. Just a couple of points. They attend church because they think they ought to. It's not because they want to, particularly. Oh, I love it. I want to hear what God says. I want to sing God's praises. I want to bring Him an offering. It's not about that. Oh, I should go because it'll make me look good and maybe God will be impressed. Listen, if that's how you think about it, (laughs) yeah, it's wrong. I'll just lovingly say that's wrong. They're lukewarm. They're moved by stories about people who radically obey Jesus, but they never do. The lukewarm rarely share their faith. The lukewarm say they love Jesus, but have never surrendered to Him as Lord of their lives. The lukewarm puts limits on how much time, money, and energy they're willing to give to Jesus. The lukewarm rarely, if ever, think about eternity. That's a big one. That's a big one. You need to be always thinking about what's coming. You need to always be thinking about it. Because that, that, that kind of shows where your home is, right? It kind of shows where your home is. Um, I love that one. Uh, the lukewarm always play it safe. There's, I love this one. They are slaves to the God of control. Listen, every, every human being that's ever been born is a slave to the prospect of control lest you open your hands and give it away. You've got to give the control away to God. You're not in control anyway. It's an illusion. You think you're in control. You're not in control. God's in control. So just open up your hands and give it to Him. Yeah, the lukewarm never do. The lukewarm do not live by faith. They structure their lives, I love this one, in such a way they never have to. They don't live by faith. They don't have to. They don't have to. They don't ever push that envelope of obedience, right? They never push the envelope. They're never pushing the envelope. So they can just walk through their day, you know, but they don't need God. Really don't need God. I'm in, you know, I've got everything under control. Of course, that's an illusion, as I just said. The best line in the book, and I'll move on, but the best line in the book, I've always loved this. You've heard me say it a hundred times. 
There is something wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. If your life makes sense to an unbeliever, there's something wrong with your Christianity. Because they should be asking you, why do you live this way? Why do you talk this way? Why will you not talk this way? Why will you not go to this website with me? Why do you live like you live? Why do you go to church on Sunday? Why do you read your Bible? What's up? They should be talking to you about these things, beloved. And I could say, I would enhance Chan's statement about there's something wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. I would say everything's wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. Everything is wrong. Everything is wrong. You guys know, if you're a Christian tonight, you're a son or daughter of the living God. This is no small thing. And God means for you to live like you believe that you are His son and you are His daughter. He means for you to go in the world and live it out. Lukewarm, lukewarm professing Christians never do. Born again believers, lovers of God, disciples of Christ, they go into the world and live it. So, lukewarm Christianity, it's an oxymoron. Jesus says, I hate it. I hate it. Can't get any stronger than that. So calling yourself a Christian and being lukewarm is without a doubt, yeah, the quintessential definition of an oxymoron. But I would say it's more than that. It's, um, it's kind of a passive-aggressive form of blasphemy. You know, to call yourself a Christian, to call yourself by the name of Christ, and then to go out there and deny it by the way you live, beloved, this is no small matter. This is no small matter for God particularly and for you, right? It's a passive-aggressive form of blasphemy to say, I love Jesus and then live like the world and love what the world loves and pursue what the world pursues. The world thinks you're just like them. Oh, you're a Christian, but you're really just like me. You're no different. You're just like me, right? The world says, oh... Jim's just like me. No, we're not to be like the world. Those who love the world and things of the world do not know God. If you call yourself a Christian and you live, it, and you live like the world, you make Jesus look uninteresting. If you're pursuing the same things the world is pursuing, you make Jesus, to all the unbelievers around you, you make Jesus look uninteresting. You make Jesus look unnecessary. You make Jesus look negotiable. Well, I'll obey Him if it's not too hard, but if it gets too hard, I'm out. Or if I'm promised you know, a, a greater amount of pleasure, I'm out. I'll take the pleasure. I was just talking to someone earlier. You know what we are, right? You know what the true believer is supposed to be. We're supposed to be Christian hedonists. You know what that is, right? You know what a Christian hedonist is, right? We are the ultimate pursuers of pleasure in God. A hedonist is one who lives for pleasure. The, the true believer is a, a Christian, a spiritual hedonist. We find our greatest delight in God. How can we be lukewarm? We can't be. We can't be. He's the, God, he's the Creator God. He's the God of Exodus 19, the fiery, smoking, quaking uh, Mount Sinai. He's the God of Daniel 7, myriads of heavenly beings worshiping Him. 
He's the God of Isaiah 6. The whole earth is full of His glory. He's the sovereign God of Psalm 99. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. How can we be lukewarm about Him to say that we are in relationship with Him and then live like the world? It's a fraud. It's a sham. It's a hoax. So, Satan loves it when people call themselves Christians and live like the world. He loves it. You're doing, you're doing his job for him. You're saying, I love Christ, but it makes no difference in my life. It makes no difference in how I surf the internet. It makes no difference in how I talk. It makes no difference in how I love my spouse. It makes no difference in how I raise my kids. It makes no difference in how I relate to my neighbor. It makes no difference how I relate to my enemy when I'm attacked. It makes no difference when I'm in a trial and I'm being persecuted. It makes no difference, really. It's all talk. God hates all talk, right? Just read the Bible. He hates all talk. He means for you to walk. It's not always easy, man, and it's hard. But God means for you to believe He's a promise keeper and that He'll show up. So, you know, lukewarm Christians, they're doing Satan's job. For him. So a few weeks we've been taking a look at a sovereign God. We looked at Esther. We looked at Shadrach and the boys. We looked at Stephen. And last week we looked at Joseph. It reminds me of David's words in Psalm 63. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. This is the core of Christianity. I lust for God. A holy lust. And here's David in Psalm 63. Because your loving kindness is better than life, we know this. He is better than life. He's better than life. Therefore, my lips will praise you. Psalm 63 again. So I will bless you as long as I live. I'll bless you as long as I live. I looked at this Hebrew word bless, and I'll get into the text in just a minute. David says, by my life, I honor, praise, adore, extol, worship, and exalt in God as long as I live. This is who I am. This defines me. And there's this one other meaning in the Hebrew word translated uh, bless. It means to kneel. I'm kneeling before God. All of my life is a kneeling before God. You see why I'm getting into Psalm 103. All of my life is a kneeling before God. Everything. Everything is a kneeling before God. It's what David is saying when he says, Oh, the Lord bless my soul. And I bless the Lord. This is what he's saying. He says, I'm kneeling before God in every aspect of my life. David is not lukewarm. We know he wasn't a perfect man, but he was not lukewarm. And when you, and when you live in such a way as to bless God, you make Jesus look beautiful, you make Him look desirable, you make Him look compelling, you make Him look necessary, you make Him look indispensable. David says in Psalm 63, My soul clings to you. Alright, I finally made it to the text. Psalm 103. I hope you have a Bible or electronic device. Psalm 103. Verses 1 and 2. I don't know if I'll get past 1 or 2. I, I will, I promise. But I love this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all, what? All that is within me. I looked it up today. You know how many cells you have in your body? About 37 trillion. I'm just trying to make a point. David says, all that is within me blesses the Lord. 
Not just some little, not just some little piece on Sunday. All of me. I'm, I'm practicing the presence of God in my life. I'm, I'm perpetually giving all of myself up to God. It's what David is saying. All of me. To bless the Lord, honor, praise, extol, worship, and kneel before Him. David says, I will do this with all that is within me. He's a God-centered man. So I ask you, are you a God-centered person? Are you just hung up about the reflection in the mirror? <laughs> it's the way I like to say it. You know, are you just in love with the reflection in the mirror? Are you all about God? I'm not talking about I'm not preaching perfection. I'm preaching I'm pre I'm preaching the bottom and the and I'm preaching the very bottom of your heart and soul. That's what I'm preaching. What's at the very bottom? What's at the very bottom? David says, I will do this with all that is within me. He uses the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Every time you see that in the Old Testament, it's it's just it's just um, it means Yahweh. It's the translation for the Hebrew name for God. It's Yahweh. It's mentioned 11 times in the Psalms. He is the great I Am. He is the God who met Moses on the mountain. He is the incomprehensible, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, awesome, fearsome Creator God. You say you know Him and you live like the world? This is an oxymoron. This is an oxymoron. If the God of the Bible is who He is, who he, who he says He is, and He is, then David's right to honor Him with every fiber of His being. If the God of the Bible is who He says He is, and He is, how could anyone claim to be a Christian and not be hopelessly in love with Jesus? It's an oxymoron. <laughs> Religion is, you know, pseudo-Christianity is Satan's best con. He's taking millions to hell because they made some profession and they did some ordinance. Hey, that's not going to make it happen for you, man. If you're not in relationship, what is the definition? You guys know, I, say, I tell you a lot. John 17, 3. What is the definition of eternal life in the words of Jesus? This is eternal life that they may know you as He prayed to the Father, Right? It's all about knowing. It's all about relationship. That's what it's about. So, David's all in. He's all in. <laughs> He's all in. With all that is within me, I bless the Lord. Verse 2 there, he says, I forget none of His benefits. Well, what are the benefits of God? Everything! Everything good in your life is a gift from God. Everything good in your life is a gift from God. And i got to tell you, man, I meet a whole lot of Christians... It just seemed like they're completely thankless. All they can do is, you know, moan and groan about the three things that are wrong in their life. And we all have three things, at least, right? At my age, I have more. You're always going to have at least three or four things pressing in on you that, that are bothering you, and they're just not like the way you would want them to be. So what? This is a fallen world. This world is under condemnation. This world is on its way out. You're passing through. Look at God, love God, and expect God to keep His promises. Man, you've got everything. Every good thing. Those are the benefits. Every good thing. Right? It's, a, it's breathtaking when you actually, you know, when you think deeply about it. If you just read over the words, if you think deeply about it, it's breathtaking. It's life-changing. 
David, you know, he could talk about, a, he could, as, as we know, he could talk about a, a, a lot of things in this psalm, but he focuses on the love, compassion, and goodness of God. Verse 3, Who pardons God, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So, the Bible teaches us that no man, you guys know this, no man seeks God. I know the world's telling you they're seeking God. I know all the false religions and pseudo-Christianity, they're telling you they're, they're trying to find God. They're not trying to find God. They hate God. It's what the Bible says, Romans chapter 1. No man understands the things of God. No man seeks for God. No man is righteous before God. No man does a good thing apart from God. No man has a proper fear of God. The Bible also teaches that the heart of man is desperately sick and deceitful, that uh, from it proceed all manner of evil, that man has exchanged the truth of God for a lie, that every man hates God in his natural state, and that every man is God's enemy. You guys will know this verse. While we were yet sinners, what happened? All of what I just said is true. You were born an enemy of God in Adam. But while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. How could you be lukewarm if you believe it? You know what I'm saying? If you believe it, how could you be lukewarm? You can't be. You, you can't be. God died for you. God died for you. And you're more interested in the world? That's not real Christianity, beloved. It's not believing. It's not understanding. It's just simply not. God has pardoned all your iniquities. He's healed your diseases. Verse 3, what's He talking about there? The ultimate disease. Sin. The ultimate disease. Some of us will die of cancer. Yeah, we live in a fallen world, but our ultimate disease is cured. It's cured. God redeems you from the pit of hell. Verse 4, the magnificent God, He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He should just judge you. He should just judge you. But He dies for us. We were enemies, but what are we now? Someone tell me. We are co-heirs with Christ. <laughs> All right? It's, it's breathtaking. I, there should be 10,000 people in here. I know I'm not a very good preacher, but there still should be 10,000 people in here wanting to hear that, yeah, I was an enemy of God, but now I'm not an enemy of God. I'm a co-heir with God. He's my friend. The one who reigns forever is my friend. It just shows you how hard-hearted men are. Right? They're just hard-hearted. They won't turn to God. They want what they want. They want to be little gods. They want to be little sovereigns and run their own world. I was listening to... Uh, well, actually, I was reading Charles Spurgeon, a uh, famous uh, 20th century... Uh, no, 19th century uh, preacher over in London. Listen to what he says. Many an unbeliever is satiated, you know, with physical things, 
but not one of them is satisfied. Don't you? Isn't that, isn't that the truth? You know when you've tried to get your. You know when you've tried to get satisfaction in some physical way or some um, achievement kind of way or the praise of men. You, you know when you try to get your satisfaction in a worldly way, you never can get there. There is no satisfaction in the world. Only in God. Only in God is there satisfaction. As he says there, verse 5, who satisfies your years with good things. He satisfies a billion eternities with good things. The good thing is Him. Alright, verses 6-9. through nine. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments from all who are oppressed. He made, he made known His ways to Moses and acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. I just want to say, uh, the Lord performs righteous deeds and His judgments are coming. God will settle all moral accounts. How are all moral accounts, moral accounts settled? How are all moral accounts settled? All will be settled. All sin will be, uh, all moral, outstanding moral accounts, all sin will be paid for. How's that, how's that happen? Yeah, you're right. At the cross or in hell. Right? No man escapes apart from being in Christ. So your, your sin was either settled in the body of Christ or it will be settled in hell. It's just what the Bible teaches. I know people don't like to talk about hell, but if you don't like to talk about hell, you probably should go to some goofy church that will never talk about hell. But what we do is we open the Bible and whatever's in there, we talk about it. Okay? <laughs> it doesn't matter if anybody likes it. It doesn't matter if I like it. What matters is... God has said it. So we know that all moral accounts will be settled. And I love what D.A. Carson says about this. He says, not only will justice be done, justice will be seen to be done. Nobody walks away from the throne of God complaining. The man or woman who is sent to hell, uh, they will know that justice was done. Nobody walks away complaining. Not when Jehovah God speaks. <laughs> yeah. You know, people, people act like they're, well, they're going to debate with God. I don't think so. You'll be on your face as fast as you can get on your face. There'll be no debates with God. So, verse 7, God has revealed His righteous nature in the revelation of His law to Moses and His providential dealings with Israel. We have the history of Israel. You know, a lot of people ask me, well, what's up with the history of Israel? You know, why do we have this? Because God is showing you His faithfulness over a thousand years or more. God is, God is trying to get you up, right? And go out there and do it. He showed up in the Old Testament. He's going to show up in the New Testament. It's one of the things that David is saying. God has been faithful from the very... Beginning verse 8 and 9, the Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. God is long-suffering with you. If you, you should know that. Uh, if you're biblically literate, you understand that. Always like Romans 2, 4 through 5. Do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? What is the ultimate kindness of God? Christ. God again. God died for you. And it's like, you know, it, it, it's always striking to me that 
that this seems to be dogma to many people who call themselves Christians. It's just dogma. They've heard it a million times. It's like music. It's background music. What, what I want to say to you is if you stop and think about it, it's breathtaking every time. God died for you. He was crucified for you. Who is a God like ours? Verse 9, David is referring to God's dealings with His people here. His faultless love as a father. His discipline of His children. It's perfect. Hebrews 12 tells us that God disciplines us in love for our good. Verses 10-13. through God has not dealt with us according, I read it to you earlier, according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. So how can a perfectly righteous judge not judge you. I just told you, if you're in Christ, Christ was judged for you. If you're not in Christ, then uh, for a billion eternities, God's wrath will land on you. This is what the Bible teaches. Again, many in the modern church won't preach it anymore. Many so-called churches don't believe it anymore. God said it. We'll preach it. If nobody's here, we'll shut it down. Right? We'll just shut it down and go do something else. But we're not going to change what God says. We're not going to change it. I'm just going to read a couple of short excerpts from Isaiah 53. You guys know it. Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him and by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. He will justify the many as He will bear their iniquities because He poured Himself out to death. He Himself bore the sins of many. And you are lukewarm in the world? I don't think so. Really, I don't think so. If that's real for you, if you've come to Christ, I'm not talking about doing religion. I'm talking about I've come to Christ. I've given myself away to Christ. He is my life. You know, I, I, I'm an old man and I've been doing this for a while, but I was sharing with someone earlier, you know, I'm still dealing with stuff, man. I still deal with stuff. And I realize every time I'm dealing with stuff, Christ is my life. It's always the same decision. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. Christ is my life. I give myself to Christ. What else happens? Whatever else happens, it doesn't really matter ultimately. It may be uncomfortable, but Christ is my life. He's my life now. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Just don't call me Lord anymore if you're not going to do what I say. Verse 10, we are not rewarded according to what I deserve, according to our iniquities. Verse 11, 
As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the loving kindness toward those. This is just a picture of infinity, beloved. It's the cosmos. The cosmos is a picture of God's love and forgiveness for His people. Yeah, it's a picture for His wrath and fury that, that will uh, fall on the, uh, the unbeliever. It's a picture of infinity. In our context here, it's a picture of His loving kindness. The Hubble telescope can see 13 billion light years into space. That's a small picture of how much God loves you. Right? you got to love science, man. Science is God shouting at you. God is shouting at you. Say, I am an awesome God. I do whatever I please. I speak two trillion galaxies into existence. Because I can. It's hard to be lukewarm about that. Verse 11, what does it mean that the benefits of God's love flows to those who fear Him? What it means is I've surrendered myself to Christ. That's what it means. The man, who, the man or woman who properly fears God has come to the understanding, I, I've offended a holy God. His wrath will be poured out upon me. Yes, I should fear Him. Yes, every man who saw Him in the Bible hit their face as fast as possible. Yes, I should fear Him. I should have a proper fear for my Creator. And I do have a proper fear. So I seek His resolution. His resolution is His Son. I must have Jesus. I must have Christ. I, I, hey, you know, sacraments aren't going to get it done. I need, I need a Savior. And His name is Jesus Christ. Church going's not going to get it done. Baptism's not going to get it done. Praying some prayers not going to get it done. I'm not saying all of those things are bad. I'm saying that you don't put your hope in any of that. You put your hope in the, in the crucified, risen, reigning Christ. That's what we do. Verse 12. Verse 12 is true because verse 10 and 11 are true. How far is the east from the west? This is another picture of infinity. You know, north and south, it meets at the pole. East and west never meet. This is infinity. This is what he's talking about. This is infinity. The believer's sin is gone forever, right? Forever and forever. Stop letting Satan accuse you of past sin. It's gone. If you're in Christ, it's gone. Forget about it. I can't tell you how many times I've had to counsel people about this. It's over! It's gone. Forget it. Move on. Right? He's either a Savior or He's not. And the Bible teaches us that He certainly is. Verse 13. This is the third and fourth time God mentions compassion or loving kindness in the text. The Hebrew word here means to love deeply with tender affection. God has loved His people deeply with tender affection. Come on, man. How can you not get excited about that? How can you be lukewarm about that? 14 through 16. For God knows our frame. He's mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass and a flower of the field, so he flourishes when the wind has passed over it. It is no more, and it, its place acknowledges it no longer. So, how many biblical metaphors are there for, that God uses to try to convince you that you're only here for this long? I know you're young. I know you have plans. You're here this long. You ever seen the, the, the illustration, of the little dot? There's a little dot on a blank piece of paper. That's your life. And then there's this, this, this line that never stops. 
that's eternity. You're living in the dot. Actually, one of my missionary friends, his, his, uh, his, uh, his name, his email address or something is living in the dot. You're living in the dot. But some of you aren't living like you're living in the dot. You're living like, this is my home. This is where I belong. I'm going to hoard up stuff, man. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, you know, and have a great retirement and, and, and really focus on everything other than God. You're living in the dot. Eternity awaits. So how many metaphors are there? There's, there's about six or eight of them. You're a vapor, you're a breeze, you're a shadow, you're a breath, you're a phantom, you're a fog. This is what God says about your, your physical life. It's going to be over. How are you going to invest your physical life? You are transitory. You are hopelessly transitory. You are out of here. It is a sprint to the hole in the ground. Trust me, I'm getting close. Today, I'm one day closer. <laughs> 64. <laughs> Yikes. So, it's a sprint to the hole in the ground. It's good to keep that in mind. Good to keep it in mind. Verses 17 and 18. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And Oh, wait a minute. I'm lukewarm. Wait a minute. God says that His loving kindness, I call myself a Christian, but God says His loving kindness for me never had a beginning and it never has an end, but I'm lukewarm about it. Beloved, you see what I'm saying here? We're not hearing the words. We're not owning the words. and We're not incarnating the words. It happens to all of us. It happens to a preacher. I mean, I've got to be in the Word all the time or I'll walk off over there and do something stupid. I've got to be in the Word. I'm so weak, I'm a preacher. I've told you this before. I'm so weak, I'm a preacher. I've got to be in the Word. I've got to be in the Word. I've got to look at God every day. I've got to look at God every day or I'll wander off mentally. Now, you know what I'm talking about, those of you who are born again. You know how easy it is to wander off mentally. You start to fear things and be anxious. What does God say? What does Jesus say about fear and anxiety? What does He say about it? You should be very, you know, you're very prudent if, you're, if you entertain a lot of anxieties. That, I think that's what Jesus said. Oh, wait a minute. He said, don't do it. It's stupid. Don't do it. Right? You come after me. This is what He says. I'm paraphrasing. You come after me. I'll take care of the rest of it. What most of us tend to do is let me take care of the rest of it, and then if I have time and it's not too inconvenient, I'll pursue Christ. This is what I've seen in my years as a teacher in the church. So no beginning and no end. It's beautiful. I will say this, God's unconditional love requires a response from you. We are Protestants, right? We know religions, we know pseudo-Christianity is a joke. We know that the salvation is not in sacraments, it's not in works. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, but we must respond to the offer of the gospel. We respond by faith. It's what we do. Verses 11, 13, and 17. God's loving kindness and compassion are for those who fear him. We've already said it, those who Fear Him. A proper fear of God. What does it look like? Somebody look at verse 18. Oh, I want you all to look at verse 18. What does it look like to fear God? What does it really look like to fear God? 
Obviously, God knows if you fear Him. He can see your heart. He knows the word before it's on your tongue. But what does it look like? Well, it's right here in verse 18. Those who fear God, they keep His covenant, right? And, uh, and they remember His precepts to do them. That's what it looks like to fear God. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. People sometimes ask me, Jim, you think I'm a Christian? I have no idea if you're a Christian. I don't know. Hey, the, the, the preacher I got saved under, he left the ministry. He left, he left Christianity. Everybody sitting out in the, in the congregation said, oh yeah, he's a Christian. No, no, he wasn't. He was a fake. I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know what's in your heart. But if you do verse 18, you fear God. I do know that. Verse 19. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about this, so I won't belabor the point. God is sovereign. He is, uh, there are no rogue uh, molecules in the cosmos. He's sovereign over angels and demons, from stars to molecules and from microbes to man. God is sovereign. We've been talking a lot about this, so I won't belabor it. So David has exhorted himself to bless the Lord, to honor, praise, adore, worship, and kneel before God with all of his life. It's what I'm saying to you. You know, you, you, the misfortune, you had the misfortune of walking in here today. Now you're accountable to God for Psalm 103. Okay? You're accountable to God for Psalm 103. You can't say, I don't know what Psalm 103 means. Yeah, you know what it means. <laughs> we all know what it means. David says, he begins to invite all creation to join him. Listen, David says, you can't be lukewarm about this great God. And this is how he ends the psalm, right? Verses uh, uh, 20 to 22. This is how he ends the psalm. Listen to what he says. Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength who perform His Word, obeying the voice of His Word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts. I think what's being said here with this word hosts, I think it means everything. I think it's angels, men, creation, all things. You know, if you read the Psalms, you realize that the, the mountains clap and the meadows sing and there's some, the trees do something. I mean, the whole created order is shouting praise to God. Right? I think it's all things. Verse 21 continuing, You who serve Him doing His will, bless the Lord, bless the Lord all you His hosts, who, who, you who serve Him doing His will, that's supposed to be you and me. Verse 22, Bless the Lord all you works of his, in all places of His dominion, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Kneel before God, O oh my soul. That's what God expects of you out there. I know it's easy in here. It's easy for everybody in here. God means for you to do it out there. For your family to see, your co-workers to see, your friends to see your neighbors to see. David calls everybody to honor, praise, adore, worship, and kneel before the great sovereign God. As Psalm 150 verse 6 says, let everything that has breath, what? Tell me. Let everything that has breath, what? Praise God. You have breath for one good reason. It's not because you deserve it. You have breath for one good reason. 
God means for you to praise him out there. That's the only reason your heart is still beating. That's the ultimate reason your heart is still beating. Now, he may have some subordinate things for you to take care of down here, but those are also, those are, they're, they're subordinate. Let all that has breath praise God. So, of course, lukewarm Christianity is the quintessential oxymoron. It's a joke. It's ridiculous. We understand that unbelievers and nominal Christians are lukewarm toward God, but Francis Chan is right. There's something wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. So David has it right. Psalm 103 is right. Obviously, it's in the Word. He's right. If Psalm 103 is true, how can you be lukewarm? You can't. You can't be lukewarm. So let us bless the Lord with all that is within us. Let us honor, praise, adore, worship, and kneel before God in every aspect of our life. And I'll close like this. For He has not dealt with us according to our sins. If you want to follow verse 10 of 103. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, picture of infinity, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him as far as the east is from the west. Picture of infinity. So far He has removed our transgressions from us. Every born-again Christian understands that lukewarm Christianity is an oxymoron. It's worse. It's a passive-aggressive form of blasphemy. So with all of our lives, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. I just want to close like this. I'm done. Um, I, I still remember when I was in seminary, I had a great preacher. I was in his church, and um, he said something I never forget. And as, as, as I was studying this week on, on 103, it, it, it kept bubbling up into my mind. Here's the reality, and this is on you, right? You get as much of God as you want. Don't tell me, don't tell me you, you can't find God. That's a lie. You can find God. And you get as much of God as you want. You do. That's on you. It's not on God. It's on you. Go find Him. Go find Him. You know how you find Him? You're in the Word and you're in obedience. That's how you run into God. You say, Jim, I, I, I don't sense God. Are you in the Word and are you obeying God radically? That's how you run into God. That's how you get the revelation from God, right? It's not some mystical experience. It's real simple. I'm in the Word and I do the Word. God shows up. And I see Him keep His promise to me as I obey Him. You get as much of God as you want, beloved. Psalm 103, it's about a man who wants God. <laughs> Right? And this is why, yeah, I have to be in the Psalms. I have to be in the Psalms deep. I have to be in the Psalms up to my ears. I have to always be in the Psalms. So I encourage you and I exhort you to do the same. Let's pray together.